you like ghost stories, right? They interest you in some way? I mean, they must. You're here watching this. You clicked on a podcast called Haunting Season, so hauntings must be within your realm of interests. So we'll just say, for the sake of this opening monologue, that you do. Great. Now, if it happened to you, if your house was haunted, would you embrace it? I mean, it's tricky stuff, but say it's an innocent enough haunting, no real damage, just some moments of, huh, crazy. You'd chalk it up to being a quirky place, right? Maybe after a few drinks at a dinner party, your partner eggs you on a little, and you tell some charming stories about, oh, this one time. (laughs) But at the end of the day, you bought the house. It's a big commitment. You paid the movers, maybe moved across state lines. You're grateful to have a job in these trying times. So moving again just because of a little ghost? Well, that's just not possible right now. And to be honest, both of you mind your own business for the most part, right? Not too bad. Sounds about fair. We're all on the same page. So how many of you would then go out and buy a Ouija board for your house? How many of you would invite communication? Far fewer people, I'd assume. And how many of you would sit there at night alone with a few lit candles and put out to the world that you want to be contacted, that you want to interact? How many of you would add drinking to that scenario or pot or psychedelics? No, no, that's too dangerous, right? Opening up your mind in that way, inviting the spirits in. But now you're thinking about it. Now you're curious. Now that little seed is planted. And while you'd never be the one to do it, don't you wish somebody would? Take one for the team? For science? Okay, sub-aliens for ghosts, and I've got your man. He's all of the above, and we're talking to him today. His name is Chaz. He's gone to great physical and psychological lengths, even traveled to the opposite side of the planet in search for aliens, UFOs, and a group of bizarre loners called the Friendship. His ultimate goal is to be abducted. And we're talking to him today on this episode of Haunting Season. I definitely started out from more of the, you know, the traditional paranormal background, ghost hunting kind of stuff, the ghost adventures type deal, go do some EVPs, walk around at night. And as I, I got on in, in uh, years and did research, I kind of came on to these ideas that are more on the fringes of psychology rather than the traditional explanations when it comes to you know, hauntings and things. And the experiment that got me into UFOs in particular was one actually based around a Ouija board. And I know you guys talked about that in a a recent episodes and how they, you know, potentially dangerous. And I'm terrified. (laughs) I I think they're the scariest thing on the planet. And when your book kind of started out that way, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) But um, I I don't know. It sounds like you've had good experiences. I wouldn't say necessarily, uh, I I wouldn't call them good. I would call them boring. Uh, You know, I've always wanted to, you know, get some uh, hard, hard paranormal activity brewed up. Um, But I, I never really got that result until I did this certain experiment. And this was combining psychedelics, particularly magic mushroom teas, while doing Ouija board seances. And 
uh, it came obviously with some surprising effects, uh, <laughs> as you, you, you could assume, uh, but not in, in a ghost realm. So I would brew these concoctions and I took very, you know, uh, specific notes on dosage and any kind of paranormal activity. I would do these Ouija board seances and record anything, anything that was kind of strange, would do an EVP, EVP session with it and nothing. So were you always doing them alone or did you ever do them with like a group of people specifically with the experiments? Um, with this experiment, they were all solo runs. And I, this was over a course of a, a few weekends, um, you know, kind of in between the day job. And I wanted to try it as an experiment. So I set up multiple trials and, and different things. The strangeness occurred outside of the experiments and in a way that was completely not anticipated. So at the start of one of these experiments, I had brewed my tea, used a little fancy tea set and everything, did some meditation. And then I went, started sipping my tea and I was watching planes cross the sky, sunset, nice Florida sunset, leaving the, uh, you know, the chemtrails and the light. <laughs> and I was just watching planes cross the sky and I saw a, a bright object that I hadn't, you know, that I thought looked kind of odd. And it got closer and then burst into several smaller objects, almost kind of like an explosion in like a Star Wars movie when a spaceship re-enters. And being in Florida, that was a good possibility that it was some kind of space debris re-entering. So I did my research. I couldn't find anything, any reference to debris or anyone else really seeing this, this explosion in the sky. Um, and that was that was odd because I was had had just begun drinking this mushroom tea, um, and normally psychedelics they take about especially mushrooms about an hour to kick in. Of course, mushrooms are tricky. Uh, you know that's not a solid uh, number there. So there is is the potential that you know I I picked up off of my last trip and I was right back into a, a psychedelic state. So it, it was something odd I recorded. But later, about a week and a half later, uh, in between two experiments, now no psychedelics involved, I was sitting in the same area where I had conducted these seances and I was talking with a friend about them and we were smoking a, a, a joint. So I guess minor psychedelics there, but nothing, nothing heavy. <laughs> I don't really tend to count it, but we were talking about this and my friend, he kind of you know, blew it off and said, eh, mushrooms, whatever. And we started to hear a low hum. And one of us jokingly said, maybe that's, maybe that's the UFOs. And almost ironically, this triangular shaped craft began hovering right above the, the house. Three lights on each corner. It's a, a, a type of craft that many people familiar with UFOs have probably heard of before. It's particularly seen in these Gulf Breeze sightings up and down Florida. And it kind of just hovered above the house for a minute, right above the tree line. Uh, to a, a point where I could hit it with like a baseball if I was standing out in the street. And it just hovered there for, for a second and continued on. And that was when I really, that was kind of like an aha moment where I had been doing these seances with this intention to create something paranormal. And so typical of paranormal phenomena, I'm like, all right, give me some poltergeist activity, show me a scary demon. I want to see anything, give it me anything. And said, okay, anything? And then boom, a couple of UFOs. And that really sent me down this, this research rabbit hole where I found 
lots of people having similar experiences where paranormal phenomenon happens a little bit after they had this weird psychedelic trip. And then observing the phenomenon itself, it has all of these parallels with psychedelic experiences. And that kind of bred what is my my current research method. Yeah, and and I want to get into that, but I want to know, like, as far as your childhood goes, what, what was like your first connection to the paranormal? Was there it's like legend telling within the family or was it like a book you discovered? So it was actually an incident. There was a, I had a, uh, a bizarre experience when I was a kid. I moved into my brother's room and we built a bunk bed on top of his bed. So I would sleep on the bottom bunk. And of course, older brother, he got the top bunk. So he moved from that bottom bed to the top bed. I moved in. And one night I, I fell out of bed sleeping there. And from underneath my bed is this pair of red eyes just staring back at me, almost like a, a Halloween like cartoon graphic. Like they're just so glowy yeah. and red. And being a little kid, eight or nine years old, I jumped into bed, put a blanket over my head because that means you're safe. I waited the night out. And when the sun came up, I, I got out of bed and, you know, I was a kid, but I was still irrational. I started digging all the toys and junk, anything under the bed, anything maybe looking for anything electronic, anything that could have generated a light that I could have mistaken for eyes. And my older brother, he's coming down the ladder. And without me prompting, without me saying anything, he just sees me digging. He asks, did you see those red eyes too? And that was the moment where he had experienced it weeks before in almost the exact same way I did. And we didn't find anything that, that made a light. There was no, no explanation for that. And for me, that was kind of a moment where I was like, well, ghost stories and stuff are the real, there's something, there's something more. And it sent me down a rabbit hole and I've been fascinated ever since. And oddly enough, it had a kind of an opposite reaction on my older brother. He became kind of, you know, closed off to, to paranormal ideas and to the ideas of religions and stuff. Oh, wow. He's been more opened up ever since we, you know, some other psychedelic experiences, but <laughs> he's been more opened up since then. But for a while, at that initial moment, it had the opposite effect on us. It's been, uh, you know, a thing that even today, even with it was a shared dream or a shared hallucinization, even in itself, that is something paranormal. And that's one of those things where these scientific explanations are still a lot of the times in the, the paranormal realm. That's kind of where I think there's a lot of, of insight to be found. I'm about to get probed. I've got <laughs> earthquakes. I've got the gardeners here. I think I might have be in the midst of an alien abduction. So please bear with me with the, the sounds in the back. I'm, I'm trying to like mute my microphone and also like listen and take everything in at the same time. So let's get let's plug the book. I've got yep. it right here. I've got the hard copy, The Paranormal Expeditions, Hunt for the Friendship. How did this come about? And and can you tell us a little bit about what the friendship is and how you ended up, well, give us a background on the book and, and also the friendship and what this is all about. Yeah, of course. So the, the friendship, I'll start there. They're this group that came to, to the attention of the public in the 1980s. And this is the public of Chile in South America. And this was a group who had made these contacts with various people around these communities in Patagonia. 
and, and done favors for them. One guy in particular, was he claimed to have been healed by from lung cancer. He had lung cancer and was healed by this group, or so he claimed. Um, some evidence was put forward to confirm it, some to deny it, but the, the claim was made and several other people came forward saying, yeah, this group, I've, I've talked to them and had weird encounters and things. And what made them particularly interesting is this group told these people that they were aliens. They said, hey, we're extraterrestrials, we're from the center of the universe, and we're, we're here to help. They were tall, blonde, light-colored eyes. Each one had the name of a, an angel. There was Gabriel, Ariel, all these angelic names. And they wore these weird jumpsuits. And these, this sighting is very reminiscent of the contactee movement in the U.S., which took place in the 50s and the 60s. And these were the early encounters with UFOs where people saw other human-like beings who came to say messages of peace and space communism and, and these kinds of things. And they were all love and light. Um, and till the Barney and Betty Hill abduction where it started taking a darker turn. This is where the probing and stuff starts uh, entering into the phenomenon. Yeah. I, I was kind of reading this. I was hoping, I was praying that there was going to be some sort of probing because I, I, I was looking forward to that. And <laughs> well, unfortunately, there's really nothing, I, you know. <laughs> I'm, you know I'm I was personally out there trying to get probed. Try, was, right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> Just to get some evidence. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Go, go ahead. And well, this group, they um, not too probe heavy, but they have the the same medical focus. There's this attention on human anatomy and they kind of, they reportedly have this remote island base where they have a hospital and all these facilities and that's where they hang out. And um, after this initial release of all this information, a lot of, you know, TV shows in the, the 90s went and tried to track down these kinds of things. And it had its little moment in the uh, South American UFO uh, press, and it kind of died off. But throughout the years, these small cases and these little examples and these little stories keep coming out of the region about interactions with this group. And when I heard this story, I was fascinated. Uh, because it just was, it's something that on the surface looks like personally, uh, and part of me still believes this, uh, a group of crazy people <laughs> living out in <laughs> the middle of nowhere, claiming to be aliens, right? And doing research, there's a lot of paranormal elements that don't quite, quite line up with that, but that possibility is still there. And the one thing that's pretty consistent in all of the reports is that they exist and that there's a physical place that they hang out at. So I thought I'd go down there and try to track it down myself. Yeah, so why? Because like, if if I were to hear, hey, there's these group of people that are on this secluded island that's not monitored by anyone, and they could be Nazis, they could be aliens, or they could just be weirdos, I, my first intention wouldn't be like, let me go find it. It would be to stay as far away as possible from that area. <laughs> well, it was... Uh... You know, I, for a, a various reasons, it spoke to me because it had all of those those aspects and those angles was one of the particular reasons where 
I love this theory that I hesitate to use the word love, but I'm very intrigued by this theory that they are this Nazi group that escaped. I mean, I put forward a lot in the book to suggest that that could line up. Of course, there's things that don't line up with that explanation. The age range of the group, it's the 1980s they're operating. So that's a good portion after the war, good 40 years. So it's, it's not quite, none of the explanations when you look at them, they all almost fit, but none of them quite mold perfectly. So that's one of the reasons. And the other reason was a strange synchronicity that, that kind of tied me to the case. Um, you know, I, I heard brief mention of the case on a, a podcast and I started doing some research and I found there was a, um, advertisement put in a newspaper in, in, uh, Puerto Mont, Chile, um, just at the tip of Patagonia. And it was an English advertisement that someone had put in the paper and it said to Friendship Island. I am the professional engineer whose home you visited in Sarasota, Florida about two years ago. You scared me at the time because I did not know who you are, but now I do. I would appreciate it if you would let me visit your home. Thank you. And you're from Sarasota. And I'm from Sarasota. And for whatever reason, that was just enough. That was the the straw that was broke the camel's back that said, okay, I got to look into this. It was just... The idea that, you know, they're they're not only real, but they're real enough that they've been here, my hometown. So that was enough to, to kind of put me on the edge. And it's still a lead I'm trying to track down now, going around the city selling my book. And I've got <laughs> I've got it printed out so I could, you know, be like, hey, anyone who who might have <laughs> might have done that, because uh, I'm desperate to get that story. That would be that would be huge. <laughs> So there's quite a lot of research that went into the first half of this book before you even like went on your trip, documented experiences, first person experiences, the science behind quantum theories and space travel. Uh, And the one that really stood out to me as the most plausible for like why UFOs exist and pop in and out of our existence was the idea that these UFOs and other forms of life that we call aliens might actually be coexisting on our planet in another dimension. Can you talk about that theory a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So this this is uh, an idea that's been posited by a, a lot of researchers. Jacques Vallée comes to mind and, and others, where that the idea is that these entities are from various realities, you know, close to ours. And that pans out when you think about the idea that a lot of these aliens are just humanoid in shape, right? If, if you think about our own planet's history, for most of the history, it was dinosaurs. We got lucky that ape-shaped entities are, are supreme. And a lot of these UFOs, even the little gray ones, they still are shaped generally like people. So that's kind of leads to this idea that they might be traveling from different space times that are close to ours. They, the idea with the little gray ones that's been put forward uh, by a lot of researchers, that's, I don't know if I believe it, it's a fun idea, but is that they're time traveling back from a future, that they're us, that we put a bunch of chips in our bodies and we, we de-evolved ourselves until we were little, little unfeeling gray things. And they're coming back and collecting genetic material, probing so they can get re-evolved themselves into to being human. It's a fun idea. 
Um, but you know, it's like a lot of these theories, not really something that's provable. For me, the most compelling thing is like, uh, like all this military evidence that's been coming out the past couple of years. And that documentary, The Phenomenon, that came out last year, it talks a lot about like the movements of the ships and how they don't fit into what we understand, like gravity and physics to work. And the idea that they could be in another quantum realm, like really completely for me explains like how something could be under you and then suddenly a thousand feet above you and suddenly make a left turn is because maybe it's it's an advanced you know society in a parallel universe that has somehow barely begun to figure out breaking through that barrier to make contact and it maybe glitches them back or right uh, so i think that the the variety of ufo's encounters we're having um, a lot of them i think the the once they hit this the singularity in tech where They've called it zero point energy, this idea that it can fall, use its, create its own gravity bubble and thereby fall, travel at infinite speeds in any direction it wants because it exists in this bubble. Then you take it to what Einstein was talking about when he was talking about the speed of light. And currently it's believed nothing could travel at the speed of light. But the closer you do travel to the speed of light, the shorter objects become and the shorter time tra- moves, time moves slower. Um, and this is that idea that you see in Star Trek when they bend the piece of paper, poke the pencil through, right? The, the warp. But there's a huge thing missed by that idea. And Einstein specifically stated that this occurs to the observer, that it's this warping happens for the individual observing it. So, the theory is that whatever mechanism uh, operates these crafts, once you get there, you, you slipped the the bounds of time and space. So it's you don't you move past the model where you look at the universe as planets. You move to a model where you look at the universe as existences, observed realities. Right. So Earth is a truck stop in an infinite multiverse because there's humans because there's life organisms there to observe the reality and this is how they're able to render themselves into our reality and the effects of these viewing these ships traveling at at these kinds of speeds or just being around them would be a alteration of space and time for the observer and i i posit that what would that look like it would look like a psychedelic experience. So then for me, again, the, another fascinating part about your book is then the connection to psychedelics and how if our brain, if everything we experience through quantum physics and mechanics is existing because we're looking at it and because we're experiencing it and everything we experience is electrical firings in our brain and that can be altered through psychedelics. What's to say that psychedelics aren't the key to unlocking a greater depth and knowledge and vision of our world, right? That's the theory. Uh, yes, to, well, to an extent, right? So the idea that psychedelics allow us to interact with entities is an idea that's older than, than time. It's shamans and in the prehistory were doing these kinds of performances. It's kind of been a lost art. Uh, I actually prefer lost science. If you look at the the anecdotes of the you know the initial uh, uh, 
colonialists in, in the Americas, there's a lot of accounts of shamans possessing jaguars and doing all kinds of like crazy things that seem so beyond our, our understanding. And that's probably because they've spent so much time communing with, it's a science. They are their, their society scientists, they're the healers, they're the, they understand how to operate these things. So it's kind of a thing we've lost in a, a way. And the root though, for my research is I don't wanna channel an entity. I don't wanna just do the stuff you can't see. I'm looking for, I want the proof. Give me a little piece of spaceship. <laughs> Give me an alien implant. Give me, hell, I'll take a wad of Bigfoot fur. So I'm looking at these aspects where, where the phenomenon goes, it, it sits on that psychedelic edge, but it, it crosses over into physical evidence. And this is going to be seen in, in a variety of cases. To use the famous Betty and Barney Hill case, the information they got about being on the spaceship and all that, it sounds like someone experiencing a, a wild drug trip and almost a nightmare. And we see the parallels between sleep paralysis, mm -hmm. which has long been posited to be actual entities causing that. So it, it sits somewhere at the mind on the, on the level of, of consciousness. But when the people come back with implants or Barney Hill, he came back with a, a ring of pimples around his junk because they, they slapped a <laughs> tube on it. Yeah, apparently they don't wash the tube off. Oh, boy. <laughs> so he, Advanced beings. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, are not that was hygiene, apparently. Yeah. They lost that with their humanity. <laughs> so, you know, pieces of physical evidence, these things that have fallen off craft, the implants that have been put in, inside of people, that, and those people then go on to describe, yeah, I was taken to Venus and it was a lush green paradise and this giant blue angel was talking to me and they did a surgery on me. And you're like, okay, that's the craziest story I've ever heard. <laughs> but there is something unexplainable inside. This implant is a weird technical piece that no one understands. It's these cases that they are these psychedelic experiences that we're hearing but they come back with physical alter altercations, alterations, anything like that. Those are the, the kinds of things I hope I can generate myself by putting myself in those altered states. Yeah. So like, I think what a lot of people call them or like talk about is like, you're talking about shamans and people that like use hallucinogenics or, or psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And the term, I think, psychonaut. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're an ast there's astronauts and there's a psychonaut who's using the stuff and they're, they're like feeling like they're either for meditational purposes, like they're getting in touch with themselves, or they also feel as though they're communicating with something that's higher or, or something that is a superior. Right. And they're learning from that now. And then there's also a lot of people, like you mentioned a little bit of DMT and there's like, there's a group of people that believe like. You know, you, you do. I've never done DMT, but I, I know several people because it was quite the rage here in California, like five, <laughs> six years ago where everyone was doing it. And there's like this correlation between like the visions and they see the same thing and they believe like it's something from another world that's communicating with them and that these people or these this being left the medicine here on Earth for us to communicate. And this is a way to communicate with another being. And then I also think like LSD. Well, that's a man-made 
drug, right? I mean, like mushrooms, mm -hmm. that's of the earth. Uh, ayahuasca is of the earth. But as far as, uh, like, there's a lot of man-made things. So would that mean that, like, LSD, the, the makers of, uh, you know, the LSD were aliens, possibly? <laughs> well, Timothy Leary's always... an alien. <laughs> there's always been this idea that the elites and these high-level scientists have always done the, the DMT rituals and that they are guided by these DMT entities, which is fun. <laughs> I love that idea. And I do believe secret societies throughout the ages have held on to these rituals because of their, their interest. Now, I'm extremely cautious of trusting any of these entities, DMT or not. Um, you know, if they, they were as altruistic as they, they claim to be, they, they probably would have, wouldn't operate in the, in the shadows, you know what I mean? Especially when it comes to, to the UFO uh, abductees and things. I, I don't really buy any of these lines that, oh, you know, we're, we're here to help. I think there's a, a pretty cold indifference to our planet when it comes to most of these, these entities. And, you know, because once you, you hit that, that singularity, you hit that higher understanding, we're not special. <laughs> we're not that rare. <laughs> we're just another life-inhabited rock. But we are a place to go for these entities, non-physical or physical, because we're a reality that, that exists, because we're here to, to view it. The rest of all these empty planets and empty worlds and stuff to them would be essentially the ocean. And these planets with life that are rendered realities would just be the islands, it would be the places you go, whether you're going somewhere else or, or to the next location. But when it comes to the idea that aliens seeded the DMT and stuff, you know, that's, again, I, I'm open to all of these ideas, right? And I want to hear from these entities, but um, I, I do it from an extreme kind of skepticism. First of all, I've never had any super crazy, they, I've, none of the machine elves have come to me or anything like that. I haven't done, you know, any heavy dose of, I've done a lot, a variety of things, but I haven't done DMT experiments yet. So maybe that's, that's where some of this evidence that's will That's where lie. it's all going to change. It's, it's all going <laughs> to change. Once you do that, you're, it's, you're never coming back. <laughs> well, I, exactly. So I'm, I'm a little hesitant to buy all into these ideas. I think a lot of times people have these interactions and they think they've touched some kind of, of heavenly realm or whatever. And they start asking these entities for information. And we see this through a hundred channeling mediums throughout history. It, at one moment, it goes bad. Some, eventually, it does not turn out well. You either go fucking completely nuts or you, you completely make a fool of yourself. So or... where's that line for you? When are you going to know before you reach that line? What's too much... You know, what's going to keep you from pursuing this the rest of your life? Is there that like cliff edge that you can identify? Um, no, not quite. There's not. So I'm going to keep going at this point for a lot of my family. I've already passed that point, right? Just writing a UFO book to begin with. If we weren't disappointing uh, our parents, we wouldn't be doing important things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm driven by the evidence. So it, maybe uh, the community as a whole can, can keep me in check if I start putting some nonsense like, oh, I'm talking, 
I've spoken to the entities and they told me that this is how it is and we're going to do that. Uh, I've lost it, right? I'm going to keep looking for that. I'm looking for physical evidence because again, I'm looking at this all from a theory and there's all this evidence and anecdote that the, of the theory that these psychedelic interactions either are the cause of these paranormal interactions or at least heavily influenced by them and i'm just going to keep checking that out until it until i've got a piece of physical evidence right you're from florida have you tried bath salts that's like an easy, really quick way to really cross that. I do have a, a kind of a gonzo experiment planned to do some, some salvia because it's said that that will allow you to swap consciousness with objects. So the plan is to go down to Key West where they have Robert the Haunted Doll. That's the whole Annabelle kind of deal. Yeah, there. nice. No one's looking, smoke a little salvia, and then go stare at that doll and see if I can't <laughs> get possessed or haunted or something. <laughs> and but, you've never done you've never done salvia before? Nope, not salvia uh, oh, in particular. I've done a variety of these research chemicals, similar yeah. and, and yeah. different. So I, I'm again. I would love for it to be true and for all these these stories to pan out, but I, you know, it's kind of a debunking experiment as much as it is a, you know, paranormal experiment too. Because I, I doubt I'll have any, you know, kind of crazy. I've got one uh, little uh, going with the paranormal expeditions and also watching that movie last night, Josh, the, the phenomenon. My question is like you, you referred to earth as kind of like this truck stop. Why are we so important? Why the hell? We're obviously not as superior as, the, as these other, like, explorers. Or why would they come? Like, I, when I travel across the U.S., no offense to Florida, and I've never been, but I'm staying away from certain places on the map. You know, yeah. where I, if, if they're, like, wouldn't they be like, hell no, stay away from Earth. This place, <laughs> if you get lost, do not stop on planet Earth. Or maybe is it just like a joke where it's just like, hey, let's, hey, dude, I did a, I did some donuts on uh, in Planet Earth, and I, they were able to see me on camera and stuff like that. They're they're totally freaking out, you know. I see it more as a kind of a, a necessity, and the fact that right these our reality exists because there's life forms here, you know, generating it. There's a whole spectrum of colors and stuff and whatnot for even an insect, which lives in its own weird reality that would be alien to us. I, I think the reason, and this is the same reason they're kind of obsessed with our biology or whatever. They need some of our, you know, they need some kind of human biology to generate the human reality. That's how they're shifting between these, these realities is through the biological organisms that generate those realities. So it's more like they, maybe they're on the way to Bigfoot world, which is just one above us, right? And they're just, they just ran out of, of fuel. They ran out of water or whatever. And they're like, ah, oh, shit, we got to stop at earth, <laughs> you know, stop right there real quick, load up, hope the natives don't shoot at you and you, <laughs> you fly off. That's kind of the, the situation we're looking at. And that's why we get this variety of craft that seem to have completely different motives. Um, and 
as to trying to avoid us, it doesn't look like we've been very successful in shooting them down before. So uh, there's not really anything to avoid, you know, if you're in one of those things, it's got to feel pretty good. It's got to feel like being a giant truck and everyone else is in a, tiny, <laughs> <laughs> in a motorcycle, right? You're probably not worried about it that much. So I've got one final question for you before we have to wrap up. So I'm a photographer and a cinematographer, and I often get this sense of like, pretty mild invincibility behind my camera. So I'll always say like, I'll never skydive ever, 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 unless I have to film it for work, in which case I'll probably figure it out, you know? So if you strip away the philosopher and the the researcher parts of yourself, at your core, are you afraid of aliens? I think uh, at the core of all of this and at the core of the, the expedition is this sense of adventure. I think I fancy myself some kind of adventurer and I've dug out this little niche to do my adventures in and at the core of it is I want to go on that big adventure so no I pray I mean alien I'd be excited and I beg them to take me with them I want to go on board and if I'm if I'm gone it's because I found them (laughs) if I ever vanish it's because I found them and I talked them into taking them with me or, or they ate me, one or the other. You're, you're uh, down for probing? <laughs> I'll, if, if that's what it takes to get on board, I'll, I'll let probe, probe me. I will. That's, I'm, you I'll should put out a t-shirt. You should make a t-shirt, make some like swag and just be like, you know, where it just says probe me. Probe, I, I might steal that. That's a great idea. All right. <laughs> so it. what's next? Is it another book? Um, a documentary? Yeah, I would like. Well, I would like to make the Paranormal Expeditions uh, a series. I have a couple more locations in mind, uh, you know, toying around with some ideas yet. But I'm trying to start the the research process on on a new case. Um, I'm selfish, though, because this case really was uh, kind of an undiscovered gold mine that I got all to myself. And so I'm kind of looking for one of those again. And it's it's tough doing the plan is to do it in a couple more segments, a couple more cases. But, you know, plans can change if, uh, you know, this gets picked up by Travel Channel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I'll go back. I'll go back and look for this island for nine seasons if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> so I was we'll, curious. We'll keep it open. You mentioned something in the book about uh, there was a podcast you had, right? Um, yeah, I kind of released this that's called Friends or Fiends, if anyone wants to go back and track it down. It's from a couple of years ago. And that was kind of the initial release of this, this information. And it was kind of done as a, like a one-off five little episodes. And it, it, it was pretty popular when it came out as a little indie podcast project. But if you're not doing your, you know, the podcast weekly, it's hard to hold an audience. So and I found myself with volumes of leftover research that didn't make it. So I, I decided to throw it all together and I uh, doubled the, the length of the podcast, went into the book. So it was it was its own project at the end of it. But it, it, yeah, definitely nice. a good way to get it out there. <laughs> so it's still available for like you people can listen to it, stream it yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, um, it's then- on my website, too. Yep. Okay, cool. And what's what is your website? Like if people want to see like follow you and just like what's your what's as the kids say, what's your handle, bro? <laughs> so I'm, I'm at Chaz of the Dead. <laughs> Chaz of the Dead on Instagram and Twitter. And then I have my website, www.chazofthedead.com. Um, and that's where I put up all, you know, interviews and little articles and case studies I'm doing and all the little projects in between the big ones. 
so check that out right on man yeah that's awesome we'll be keeping an eye on on all the stuff you're doing and if you find evidence please come back on the show you'll be one of the first to know (laughs) yeah that's awesome Or if you get abducted or anything like that, try to do some sort of like, I know in the book they talk about like stuff coming in through the radios and stuff like that. If you can do, obviously the, you know, I'm, I've got all sorts of distractions out here in my front yard. (laughs) I don't know if there's something trying to communicate with me, but if you could do something like while we're we're recording and you're abducted, that'd be great. (laughs) I I would love to do it. The the problem is if I get abducted... I got to stay aboard because no one's going to believe me. <laughs> if I come back, they're going to drop me back off and they'll be like, oh, yeah, the guy who wrote the UFO book got he's abducted. Nuts. He's nuts. Uh-huh. He's, he's, a, he's a total nutbag. He had a bad experience on some bath salts. He's, he's a nut. <laughs> We've got, we're going live to outer space here. We've got Chaz on the mothership. Uh, man, Probe dude. me. <laughs> Probe me. Please, I need the evidence. <laughs> Leave the probe in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this is too much fun. I could do this for another three hours, I swear. (laughs) Yeah, this was a blast. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Wow, Chaz. (laughs) <laughs> what a what a cool dude bro oh man what a trip that guy is so easy to talk to yeah absolutely i i, I i'm not a big you know uh whatever but i i would definitely um you know take a couple of tokes with that dude for sure i, yeah, I would get talk way aliens. too scared i would get way too scared <laughs> that's true that might too be a, that might be out. a bad time Hey, do you like the music in our show? Well, it's North Innsbruck. Check out the t-shirt. Chris from North Innsbruck is our buddy from Minneapolis. He's helped design the entire soundscape of these flagship episodes, and he's got some incredible music that's available on Bandcamp and iTunes and, you know, a bunch of other places. So you should totally check it out. Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Gregg. Produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond. And executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen. And is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. This episode was written and hosted by Cody Dugan and Joshua Sterling Bragg. It was edited by Colby Crow. And select music in this episode was made exclusively for the podcast by North Innsbruck. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. We have a video version of the show on YouTube and Facebook. Facebook and audio versions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Is that good? Oh boy. <laughs>